0: Welcome to Locked on Bucks, I'm your host Kane Pittman here as we sit here to record this episode we are less than 24 hours away from the beginning of basketball season, quite ridiculous really, this time tomorrow games will be in the books and then we are under 48 hours away from the Bucks season opener in Boston against the Celtics which is great because it's going to be the start of the Bucks pursuit of a ring this year which is convenient because this episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana. 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring launching exclusively on January 18 at bluenile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January eighteen and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. Now, I mentioned that a couple of the listeners had reached out and asked the question, are you going to do the over and unders? Well, uh, luck would have it, and time would have it, and the timing has panned out. The founder of BrewHood.com, long longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, is here for the traditional over and under episode. Frank is about to hit the road for Wisconsin tomorrow. Uh, and and that's obviously exciting for him to not have to be working right through the middle of the night. But before we get to the over and unders, Frank, the Bucks took a little penalty for the whole Bogdanovich saga. A 2022 second round pick has been stripped as a result of this investigation.
1: Yeah, not great <laughs> um, for a team that has precious few draft assets uh, to lose. You know, a not so distant future second round pick is. It's not. It's not a trivial thing. Now you might say, well, you know, if you're, um, if you know, if you're talking about your own picks, uh, and you're expecting to be near the top of the league each year, then you're talking about a pick in the you know mid to late fifties, right? But uh, again, uh, judging by the number of people who seem excited about Sam Merrill who got picked <laughs> at the sixtieth spot this year, um, that that's not a trivial thing. And uh, you know, I mean, just look at the the money it costs to buy into the second round, right? I mean uh you're talking about generally millions of dollars to buy a second round pick so you kind of turn that on its head and essentially this is you know the equivalent of a multi-million dollar penalty uh is ultimately the way i think you could view it um so yeah I, i mean i wasn't shocked i thought it was interesting that there was a financial penalty but or there was a draft penalty but no financial penalty um i don't i don't know that i've heard an explanation for why that was I certainly hope that it wasn't a, you know, you pick if you want a financial penalty or a pick penalty, because I, of course, would have much rather had a financial penalty, but I don't know that that you're given an option in these sorts of things. But it is a weird, I mean, it's a weird thing. The Bucks are clearly being made an example of after the kind of increased penalties around, um, you know, and I believe it was clarified, this was not deemed to be tampering but essentially, just um, early move- early movement, basically, right? Jumping the gun, I think was the, the phrase I, I saw used today. Um, so, yeah, it, it's bad, and it feels like the Bucks have been um, obviously with the honest penalty that they had. when they what they get fined fine for fifty k or something like that a year ago for suggesting the crazy idea that they would offer him the supermax <laughs> uh, this summer this offseason? Um, so it feels like the Bucks have been on the business end of. You know, uh, a number of these that this seems kind of absurd, but the flip side is, you know, on some level, you also have to know better. Um, and you know, again, uh, I, I am curious to see if there's going to be more, um, you know, how, and again, maybe not this season because we haven't heard anything else. But other than that, that Clipper Kawhi uh, lawsuit thing with with some <laughs> hanger-on type of Kawhi claiming that Jerry West stiffed him out of two and a half million dollars or whatever. Um, but, uh, but, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's bad. You know, not only do you lose out on a player that obviously you think could have helped you, but then to lose yet another draft asset in the, the off season of lost draft assets. Um, it's just another kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's another blow to, to the Bucks dwindling set of assets. Cause, cause again, I mean, the Bucks have their first round pick I mean, it, it's not like they don't have any first round picks. The problem is they can't trade them, right? Um, and they can't do anything with them to, to potentially add talent during this season. Uh, whereas that second round pick they could have. So that's that's really the big deal of it. And again, you know, you can say, well, it's late second round pick. You can go buy one, you know, down the road if you want. Yeah, sure. But but again, you just never know when when a pick like that might be useful. So I, I don't know. It's not probably not worth belaboring as I probably just have. But um, yeah, it's kind of probably a, as a fitting end of the Bucks offseason, given how kind of just. You know, it was punctuated with the 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 peaks of, of obviously getting Giannis, and that's really the thing that mattered ultimately. Yeah, Drew Holiday, but then you also have just some sloppiness around the edges, which you know, again, for no reason, the Bucks cost themselves a, another draft pick.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely worth being a little bit frustrated about if you're a Bucks fan, and I don't know where. Exactly, you channel that frustration, whether it is at the Bucks. I know a lot of Bucks fans, from what I see on Twitter, are angry at Woj for, the, for, for tweeting this out. But all in all, this was a bit of a messy situation. And I think the interesting part of this, and Tim Bontemps was, funnily enough, the one that was reporting this from ESPN, not Woj, but he said... That's the, uh, uh, he obviously noted that the 2022 second round pick is the first one they currently own because uh, the 2021 pick was a part of the George Hill trade in December, 2018. But the the quote from the NBA is that this penalty took into account the Bucks cooperation with the investigation, the absence of evidence of any impermissible early agreement on the terms of the contract between the Bucks and Bogdanovich, and the fact that the team Ultimately did not sign Bogdanovich, so we spoke about this a lot once this came out, once there was pressure from other teams in the league, there was no real way that they were going to be able to acquire Bogdanovich because then it was going to turn into something more uh, or, or bigger than it originally was. So the fact that they say that there was no uh, paper trail essentially of the fact that there was an agreement done is what makes this so curious, and you have to ask the question, well, uh, why is the NBA cracking down on this and and taking a second-round pick from the Bucs. Well, the obvious answer is that they're just trying to make it look or seem like they're serious about this, even though they know that everyone does this. So this was sloppy from all parts. We already know that. And unfortunately, like you said, for a team that doesn't have a lot of draft assets, this is not uh, nothing. But anyway, we'll move on. I think this is perhaps the last note we need to make of that uh, Bogdanovich saga outside of watching how he plays this season. I think we should... Move on to the over and unders. And before we do, because uh, we are going to be quoting some lines from our friends at BetOnline AG, Uh, I should mention I said this the other day. I'm a Packers fan now, which is great because we are nearing NFL playoff season here. And there is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. And let's start with the win total, Frank. Now, this is off uh, betonline.ag, and uh, you were a little bit surprised when I mentioned this to you prior to uh, us recording here, 50.5 is the line for wins for the Bucks. And remembering, uh, that may sound a little low, but it's a 72-game season here, so you have to take that into account. So uh, just to for reference of what the Bucks have done in previous years, if you took the over, 51 wins, that's a 70.8% winning percentage. In 2019, the Bucks were at 73.2, and in 2020, they're on 76.7. So I remember when we did this last October and... I think we might have both taken the under which I think we had at around 56 57 wins. I thought the Bucks might drop off and sit around 54 55 win pace. They ended up basically on 70 win pace for the majority of the regular season which was a little bit of a shock. How are you feeling this time around with the line set at 50.5?
1: Yeah, for some reason I thought I thought the line, I thought I'd seen a line that had it at like 46 and again maybe I'm just anchoring on the wrong thing. I um, I think there was also I, I know I saw some of the like Pelton projections. I think had them around 46 wins, but mm-hmm. again, those those often tend to sort of compress the middle because of sort of mean mean So You never get really kind of like big big win totals there. Um, so I, I think on the 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 dunked on season outlook that I did with Nate Duncan about a week or so ago. Um, I, I had them. I think I had them at like forty-eight. I want to say, um, which if you translate that from a seventy-two to an eighty-two game season, would put you at about fifty-five wins. Um, so like, I guess I'm just sort of consistent. I'm just going to keep saying fifty-five wins until you know they 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 prove that they're not way better than that, which they've been, they've obviously been the last two years. Um, so yeah, I guess it, compared to fifty point five, I'll take the under. I mean that's basically you know 55 win regular season is is 48 in the shortened season the 60 win season in a regular year would be about 53 wins 65 wins would be up 57 wins just so you guys have a sense of kind of like how how the you know rough translations go um I, yeah i mean so so again 55 wins yeah that maybe seems about right i think i think the main arguments here are um you know i think if you think about it logically uh it would be that you know they don't have the same depth this year as as last year. You know I think if you look at the guys coming off the bench, um, you know I think losing George Hill, um, pushing DiVincenzo into the starting five, I think those are probably the, the most obvious um, issues. Um, and beyond that, then you just had you know again it's just a kind of question of other guys getting kind of pulled up in in the rotation a little bit. You know like obviously DiVincenzo is starting. You know it's Pat Connaughton now to take on. A bigger role potentially um and we've talked obviously about you know some of the question marks with with guys on the bench you know whether it's dj augustine or, or portis or Brent forbes or tory craig um, it's not to say these guys aren't you know nba rotation players but uh i think just as a whole i, I don't see the same kind of level of depth off the bench this year and I don't know. The the, the emotional thing for me that kind of pushes me towards less optimism is it's not because they had a bad preseason because, you know, I think as has been pointed out, like, it's not really worth putting much stock in the preseason period. And this year, especially so because there's been so little, you know, practice and, and kind of run up to it. I think the thing for me, though, is, you know, the last time we saw this team, they basically spent a month disappointing us. and. You know, if they had played really well in the bubble, and then you know you have a bad preseason, then you think, all ah, right, whatever, right? Um, but we haven't really seen this team play with kind of the consistency you you expected since really before March, right? Because even the end of the regular season, they had the you know, some injuries and, and kind of didn't didn't play well, sort of. See at the end, of the end, there obviously Giannis missing some of those games that they lost, and other guys missing some of those games. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm just not really. I I always kind of like, like to point when I don't like to point it out, but I do point it out that you just never know how quickly some, some stuff can turn in the NBA. And I think on a principal level, I mean, you've got Giannis, you've got Chris, you've got Drew holiday. You've got a terrific defensive anchor in Brooke Lopez. That's a pretty damn good starting point, right? Like it's, it's not like I'm saying the bucks are going to be like a five seed or something like that. But um, you know, if the bar is, easily winning the East again and having the best record in the league again. I mean, that's a high bar. That's <laughs> not like an easy thing to do. Um, and I, I could definitely see that kind of dropping off. I think the the biggest argument against it um, from like a regular season perspective to me would be the fact that you don't have that much depth. Does that mean that, you know, Giannis and Chris uh, are actually going to play gasp 33 minutes a game <laughs> like and, and again I mean I think if Giannis plays 30 minutes those are probably going to be better minutes than if he has to play you know a few more because you know whatever there's a little bit more tiredness maybe in there but um, I, I think obviously subbing in more Giannis more Chris more Drew Holiday relative to what we saw from Bledsoe last year because Bledsoe I mean what did he play? 26 27 minutes a game he didn't he played even fewer minutes um, I think there is obviously a positive trade-off to be had um, if you play your best players, actually like a normal amount of minutes for best players on teams in the NBA, right. Which the bucks have been total outliers or were total outliers last year. So I think that's maybe the, the kind of thing that would flip it in the other direction, at least, you know, and give you a little more optimism, both about the regular season as well as the post season. Um, but I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't doubt the formula that the bucks have, um, I guess I'm, I'm a little curious to see just like defensively. Um, do they have some slip up relative to, I mean, they were historically great last year. So I think there's, you know, likelihood you're just not going to be historically great again. Can you be number one? Hopefully. But, but again, I mean, they haven't looked good defensively since for the right part. This year, they, I think they had the worst defense in the preseason. You know, what does that really mean? Not much, but, um, I don't know. I just would like to see a little, I I just want to see more consistency. And, um, you know we'll see how how things start off to this year i mean they obviously have some difficult games really in the season that are going to be a pretty pretty big test
0: it's interesting i i think i'm going I, I would go with the under as well but i think for even more simple reasons than that i mean you mentioned you did mention that the, it's going to take some time perhaps to get into the season there is a lot of new faces uh, the depth of course is one point of that The other point that I look at, and Giannis brought this up when we spoke to him last week. He said, hey, you guys, there's nothing to worry about. We started two and two last season. And I would say, yes, you did start two and two last season, but there was a lot uh, fewer interchangeable parts. Whereas this year, it feels like certainly the whole whole entire second unit has basically been flipped. So I think, even for, yes, trying to get those base principles that Bud is trying to do right now, um, it's going to take them a, a little bit longer. And the the early part of the schedule actually isn't that easy. The Bucks play some pretty good teams in the first couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks you know, lose a few games early in the season. And, and I don't necessarily think that's going to really matter. I think in the end they'll we'll recover and they'll be fine and they'll be a home court team. But I do question whether they're going to be able to get uh, up above, that 50.5 win mark. And also the other point that I've just, I'm just wary in my mind, if I was gambling on over and unders this year, if there was one I wasn't sure about, I'd probably press the under because COVID. I mean, you know, we, we don't know what that's going to do. And not only uh, do you hope that you don't have significant positive tests in your team, but something else we've spoke about in recent times is just the shortened preseason, the shortened offseason in general, and what that means for little uh, soft tissue injuries like we've seen with DJ Augustine, for instance, that might hold you out for a week or two, that's going to be significant this season when it comes to trying to win those games. So I probably would take the under as well. Uh, just one other funny thing. You mentioned the minutes, and uh, I, I actually was listening to uh, the Hoop Collective earlier today, and it was, it was a funny story. Uh, Nick Friedel, who covers the Warriors for ESPN, was talking about... Uh, it's the Ducks. Yeah, he
1: hates always, 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 always picks against the Bucks. Yeah,
0: but he did also hate Eric Bledsoe. But so now Eric Bledsoe's gone. Perhaps he he might have softened that approach a little bit. But he was talking about Steph Curry and the MVP. And he said, you know, I've seen a few people saying that Steph Curry could win the MVP, but I asked Steve Kerr and he said that he really is not going to want him to play more than 34 minutes a night. And I just think it's going to be difficult to win the MVP with a minute restriction like that. I was like, a minute restriction like that? Are you kidding me? Bud would just about have a heart attack if Giannis played 34 minutes in a regular season game. So that just made me laugh to think about that when you brought up uh, the minutes and, and how much these guys are going to play. Speaking of Giannis, we always do this one as well, the point total. Uh, you messaged me earlier today and I had the exact same mark uh, lined, uh, written down here, which is 29.5 points, which uh, was his average last season. We know he's gone from six points as a rookie to 12 to 16 to 22 to 26 to 27 to 29. Didn't quite get that 30 that you were after last season, Frank. But is it the same old with Giannis? You just can't can't bet against him until he uh, until he... Uh, proves
1: otherwise (laughs) i i'll go take the over on general principle um (laughs) it 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 doesn't seem like he should be able to average 30 (laughs) points per game um but i think the the main reason would just be the minutes argument um and well well I, i would say there are two arguments one um it's that he'll probably play more minutes rather than fewer minutes um so I think that's probably the, 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 you know, the, the main, the main argument I would have if he plays, you know, three more minutes a game and it's 10% more, you know, 10% more minutes. Right. And again, not that you average then automatically 10% more points, but um, when you're already averaging almost 30 and you're playing 10% more minutes, I mean, that, that, that that's a real difference. Um, we're also going to get to the free throws. Um, but I think, again, like you just look at sort of his, you know, sort of shot distribution and everything. Um, you know, he left probably again, if you were relative to if he was a mid 70s shooter, which he had been obviously previously in his career, you know, shooting 10 free throws a game, you're at 63% rather than, you know, 75%. That's 1.2 points per game, you're just losing because you aren't, you know, hitting at your your historical rate. Now, I'm um, unfortunately I won't tip, I won't completely hit this point until we talk about it later, but I'm, I'm not optimistic that he's just going to go back to being a 75% free throw shooter this year. Um, but I, again, is he going to get worse as a free throw shooter? I certainly hope not. Um, so, so that's an, that's an easy way that again, he could average, you know, get that number up back above 30. So. I don't know. And if I was, if I was actually betting on this, would I actually bet on him averaging more than 29 and points a game? I don't know if I actually would, <laughs> I think for the posterity of our, uh, over-under podcast, I will say over because again, you know, do you bet against Giannis getting better? Like it, it's proven, it's proven something you don't do so far. And so hopefully that will keep up. But but yeah, I, I, at some point, he's going to not average more, more points per game. Um, but uh, obviously, it it hasn't happened so far going into year eight.
0: Yeah, I, again, it's hard to bet against him because he's somehow proven it every single season this time. Uh, last year, for reference, 34.9 points per 36. So he was actually only at 30.4 minutes uh per game there during the regular season. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that gives you, if he, even if he gets up to 32, 33, you feel like uh, that that might be enough uh, depending on on uh, how many games he plays, how healthy he is, because that's the other thing. You know, for the most part, he's been relatively healthy. Now, we know, obviously, he had that knee injury just before the season shut down there, but 63 games uh, last season, and uh, and that was actually going to be the first time in his career that he'd missed three games in a row, but then the season was shut down, and he came back and played. So uh, we'll see with Giannis. Did you want to do the, We may as well just do the free throw straight away. Now I messaged you and said seventy percent, and I don't think that we either of us felt all that comfortable about that. But uh, if we want to, if we want to say sixty-nine and a half uh, for the free throw percentage over or under that, uh, he actually has seen his free throw not to. Uh, not to really uh, make you uh, too stressed out or too, too angry here, Frank, but over the last three seasons, his free throw percentage, or last four seasons, his free throw percentage has gone from 77% to 76 to 72 to 63 and that has coincided with his free throw attempts going up. They continued to climb to double digits last year, 10 free throw attempts per game, and in two preseason games, he was at 50%. So that does feel like a pretty high number and it's kind of sad to say that 69 and percent would be a, a, a high number for him, but the way it's been tracking, it would be a, a significant turn in what we've seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to take the under just cause I, I don't, you know, again, there were some positive indications when he went to that shorter routine right before this suspension of play. And then in the bubble, just he regressed and, Zach Lowe pointed on his pod pointed on his podcast with Malika Andrews last week that um, even though his free throw percentage in the regular season, you know, before last year had always been pretty good, you know, mid-70s, um, he's been a consistently poor uh, free throw shooter in the playoffs pretty much throughout his career. And that to me is, you know, we're not talking about his playoff percentage here with this over-under, but... That to me is the biggest concern just because he has a history of, of not being able to come through when it matters uh, in the free throw department. And obviously I think, you know, he's gone through different sort of mechanical things. Um, but again, fundamentally, I mean, when he was hitting mid to high seventies, you know, he was taking forever up the line. He wasn't always super consistent in his routine. I mean, if he can make free throws in under those circumstances, then he should be able to make free throws now, (laughs) you know, um, unless like he's like gotten too strong to be able to shoot free throws, but you know, well, he, he generally always misses free throws shorts. So, so I, don't, I don't, you know, it's not like, it's not like he's shooting them off the backboard or something like that. Cause he's too jacked or something. So, um, so I, I, yeah, it's, it's a really frustrating thing. I think it's a, a concerning thing, um, that he has not proven to be a, a clutch free throw shooter or a guy that makes them in the playoffs, um, with consistency really throughout his career. Um, I hope obviously in the regular season, he can at least get back to where he was, but, but certainly that brief glimpse of things in the preseason, you know, game one, Hey, encouraging. He made, you know, most of his free throws in game two, just brick after brick after brick. Um, you know, again, especially with a guy who clearly the, the issue is mental. I'd say at this point, um, it, it's a, you know, it's, it just say it's not a good, not a good sign. So I'll take the under, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, shooting 58%, um, and again, at this point, you know maybe high sixties would be a, a win, <laughs> uh, you know, considering where he was last year. But um, yeah, it's it's very odd. And and one other point just to make: I mean, some people talk. Some people. Someone asked me about, you know, is playing in, without fans. That's got to help, right? Hmm. Um, you know, weird part: you look at his splits last year. He was sixty-seven percent on the road, sixty percent at home, which doesn't make sense. You know, if you're if you're following the crowds make a difference argument, and then he was. You know, I think even worse in the bubble than he was overall. So, um, not having a crowd doesn't seem to have any benefit to him. Playing at home doesn't seem that, at least last year, didn't have any benefit to him. Um, and you know, we've heard him make reference to you know being weird playing without fans, and you know, I think that's typically interpreted as you know you want the benefit of being being able to feed off your own home crowd, right, in terms of energy. Um, but I think. For Giannis, weirdly, it's almost like even the free throws seem to be, you know, it's like he almost needs that level of distraction and, and background noise because he's just, you know, I mean, like all players, they they get used to playing in a certain in a certain environment. So so yeah, I I'll take the, the slight under, but this one obviously, um, you know, people talk about, you know, what would you rather I think we we've talked about this, right? Like would you rather have him be able to make free throws again or Or shoot three pointers or whatever. At this point, I probably take you know, I take the free throws just because you know, no matter what, he's going to have to shoot those in the playoffs. Three point shooting—that's more of a choice that he's still shooting those at the volume that he has. Um, Whereas the free throws, you know, those are always going to have to be a part of his game.
0: Sixty-two point seven percent over the course of his playoff career. uh, Just for reference, there—that's in forty-three games. And it's funny you talk about the crowd and the fact that he's road percentage was actually higher because I remember, and, and I don't know whether this was a thing on Twitter or this was before uh, I, was, I was podcasting or anything like that, but I remember always feeling this anxiety when the crowd would start chanting MVP. And I don't know whether uh, this is something that's true or not, but sometimes when you are at games at FISA Forum, you can literally hear and feel the tension of the crowd when he goes to the free throw line in a big game certainly in the postseason that's been the case, but regular season as well. And it almost feels like perhaps there's even more pressure at home shooting free throws than there, than there are on the road. So anyway, we'll see. I'll take the over just out of blind optimism, hoping that uh, he, he can do that. So would I bet money on it? No, I don't think I would be doing that. So that's for damn sure. But uh, we've got a few more here. We've got some fun ones that we want to get to. Before that, I just want to mention Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. 18 amazing flavors. Uh, you can go whatever you want you heard some of justin's favorites yesterday but there's cookies and cream carrot cake apple almond crisp uh, raspberry german chocolate the list goes on and on they're covered in 100 percent chocolate soft and easy to chew they're great for the health conscious guy like frank lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat because the bars are low calorie low sugar high protein and high fiber Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's locked on for 20% off at Biltbar.com. This week, make sure you check out the Locked On NBA podcast. You'll find season preview episodes for each division with team breakdowns from local experts, waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on each division from rejecting the screen. Subscribe to Lockdown NBA wherever you get your podcasts. Now, this is one. This is an over and under that we used last year, and uh, last year I believe Dragon Bender may have been the uh, the subject for this over and under, Frank. But this year we're going with this. I actually, I, I don't want to. I'm just going to leave it up to the listeners. You can you can choose which DJ you, you we are talking about here. But uh, the number of DJs on the Bucks roster at the end of the season. Uh, 1.5 over a
1: And to be clear, DJ Shauna does not count. We assume <laughs> DJ Shauna. We assume DJ Shauna, the in-house DJ for the Bucks, will be around no matter what. So it's two if we want to include her, then it's two and a half. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean we assume DJ Augustine is not going to be traded midseason. Uh but um this is really about DJ Wilson and and you know, is he the uh you know ballast uh, in a especially a tax motivated deal, you know, where you ship out his four and a half million dollar deal for something lower, um, maybe send some cash the other way in order to avoid the luxury tax. And again, I think I saw today, you know, the right now the Bucks projected luxury tax payment would only be about three million dollars. And you might say, Oh well that's not a that's not that big of a deal. I mean if you have to send cash to somebody to some other team to take DJ off your hands and, you know, get you under the tax, like is that even like what you know, deck chairs on the Titanic type thing, right? The real the real reason to do it would be just because of that repeater tax, which just makes future, you know, because next year you're absolutely going to be in the tax unless you let Drew Holiday walk, which you would not want to do. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be in the tax for sure next year, likely you're after um, the repeater tax does make it more punitive and is going to cost you more money in the future. So again, it's, you know, I, I would say it's not unreasonable to try to get under it given how close they are to it right now. Um, so, so that's, that's the rationale now, of course, personally, I mean, you know, again, I I don't think fans need to, you know, spend their nights waking and worrying about, you know, their, their, their owners, luxury tax payments. So I think that's just to be clear. Um, that said, uh, regardless of that, I, you know, nothing would make me happier than seeing DJ Wilson sort of redeem himself to some extent and actually, you know, earn minutes and be a useful front court piece for a team that let's be honest could use another defensive versatile defensive player in the front court. Um, you know, we've seen a fair bit of DJ in this preseason and it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I didn't even really think about the, I mean, we I think we've talked about a little bit that this was, you know, he he's going to have every chance to, to, to earn minutes this year. And we don't want to, you know, I think we haven't really wanted to count on it um, just because of last year and especially last year. I mean, you know, throughout his career, DJ Wilson not getting minutes when it seemed like the coach would have no choice but to give him minutes has been sort of a recurring theme. Um, you know, I remember I remember his rookie year with Jason Kidd. You know, literally the Bucks had no power forwards; like Giannis was out. You know, there was like nobody <laughs> like literally to, to play, and somehow he still like wasn't playing playing in games. Like, I remember there was an early season game in Phoenix where there was literally no power forwards who were dressed basically, and DJ Wilson somehow still didn't play right because they just went small at the four um so but but again i mean it it seems like uh, i guess right now he he's probably gonna i mean would you say he's gonna play most nights it it seems like he will um and i I, again i would love it if he could give that sort of switchable versatile defensive um ability and and actually knock down some threes which was a thing that obviously completely went down the toilet last year when he was pretty much just playing garbage time and just chucking threes and garbage time so i don't know how how much you kind of take away from it. But, um, you know, again, I think he's got, he's got enough skill level to, to do some stuff offensively. You know, I think he's shown a little bit of um, ability sort of as a short roll man. Um, again, he misses layups that is, that are very frustrating to watch. Um, and he's not ever going to be, I, I think he's always going to be one of those guys who like the, the sum is, is always, you know, less or the, 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 the hole is always less than the sum of its parts. Like he can dribble a little bit. He can shoot a little bit You know, he's athletic. Occasionally he looks like he can fish and pick and roll, but somehow it just never adds up to, you know, a really like a, a real offensive contribution. Um, but I, again, does that, you know, A, does he actually earn those minutes? Does he earn Bud's trust? And does he put the Bucks in a situation where they don't want to move him? Um, that's really the question. I, I will still say under um, that he doesn't end up, on the roster by season end purely because of, you know, some of the financial considerations around it, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think again, I would love it if, if he did carve out a niche on this team. And I think to be honest, like, I mean, we, we've said a lot, this team needs contributors. They need guys who are not old and expensive to actually do stuff for this team and, and play a role. And DJ, obviously is a guy, we, we, you know, nobody's counting on to, to be some type of plus, you know, rotation piece. Um, but if he's a guy that that can look like that guy that you know two years ago showed those flashes of versatility defensively and doing enough offensively, then that would be a huge boost to a team that that really does not have a whole lot going on in the front court.
0: I'll take the over here. I think DJ Wilson will be on the roster by the time the playoffs roll around. Um, for a, a couple of reasons, but none more so than the fact that, as you sort of pointed to, I think that there's, there's going to be stretches where they're going to need him because uh, we know that they have little flexibility in in. Uh, the way of adding to the roster. And we've spoke a lot about the fact that they would have room at the in the buyout market to get another forward rotation play where they wanted to. I know uh, we mentioned it yesterday. That doesn't necessarily mean a backup center per se, but uh, a forward uh, guy that can play the four, can play the five a little bit in small uh, man lineups. And I know we've joked about Ersan Uysova and even to a lesser extent, Marvin Williams, if he wants to come out of retirement. But that type of player that can sort of be flexible defensively. But then when you look at that type of guy, you're like, well DJ Wilson can be flexible defensively and last year we saw his minutes drop from 882 in the first year with Bud to just 363 total Uh, he really has hardly been on the court essentially since Ersan Usova came back from his broken nose in uh, around January 2019 that was and then the Miritich trade went down. And then, as we know, last year they did pick up Marvin Williams. So I think that, like you said, there's a real opportunity for him to play. He averaged around 13 minutes in the preseason. And I think that checks out. I think that what we saw in the preseason in terms of the minutes that the starters were playing, honestly, wasn't that far off. And I think, you know, with Bobby Portis and DJ, I think they're going to need both of those guys. Uh, I know that there is some feeling out there from Bucks fans, from what I'm seeing on Twitter, that there's some excitement around... Jordan Wara and could he make his way into the rotation? Maybe, maybe later on in the season. But just knowing Bud, I I don't think that he's going to be rushing to play uh, either rookie really. And he kind of hinted to that. I asked him about the rookies a couple of times and he said, yeah, well, you know, where we're at, we're a a good team. It's hard for rookies to get on and play. So I wouldn't be expecting Jordan Wara to take any of those minutes from DJ. So I think the opportunities are going to be there. I don't think there's the roster flexibility to just make a tax-related move. Now, that's not saying that they won't. I'm just saying when I look at it right now, you're one injury away from being really short and really needing him to play significant minutes, whether that is Portis, Lopez, uh, Giannis, hopefully not, but if they want to rest him through the season as well, then DJ's going to be the guy that's going to really need to play. So I think I'll take the over. I think he'll be there uh, mostly just because of how restricted the Bucks are with what they can do with the roster moving forward and a funny year and needing guys to be available. I had. Dante DiVincenzo, three point percentage. Now, he, I, I've got the line here at 34.5. It's interesting to look at his three point shooting because I think we still talk about Dante as being. A pretty erratic shooter, and I certainly never really have any sense or feeling that he's going to knock down a shot when he shoots it. I just kind of <laughs> trust my fingers and hope for the best. I mean, you like that? Is it, that's what it feels like, right? I mean, I, when he shoots it, I never feel full confidence. But having said that, he went from 3.1 three-point attempts as a rookie at 26% to 3.7 at 33.6, and last season actually knocked down 38% of his wide-open attempts, which if you think of him in the starting lineup with the guys he's going to be playing with, he's going to get a lot of open looks.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny. I, I, I'm kind of the opposite. Cause I know that he doesn't shoot a high percentage, but for some reason I am <laughs> generally optimistic when he shoots threes. Maybe it's his confidence, he, his confidence. Is and, yeah. It's because right <laughs> it's, it's, it's because he seems to be confident yeah, that he's, yes. you know, taking a shot. And I mean, he has, you know, he, it's not like he has an ugly release or something like that. Like you think he has a pretty clean looking shot um, yeah. as well. So, uh so yeah I don't I don't know I, I I so I guess thematic I at first I was going to say under but I mean again he was so close to that number last year um you know I think there's as we've talked about really from the start of his career I mean there are peripheral reasons to not be big a big believer in DiVincenzo becoming a good three point shooter I mean even his three, even his free throw percentage in college was never great I think mean, he was like a 70% shooter in college even though his his three point numbers his last year were actually quite good um and he's been a 73.5% free throw, shoot, percent free throw shooter in the NBA, which again, I mean, I hesitate to say, oh, first year versus second year, because he barely played in his first year. And he played four times as many minutes in his second year as, as his rookie year. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was at 0.6 percent last year from three. And it's not like he, he's very selective. I mean, he, he puts up, you know, six threes for 36. Um, he takes some long ones. He takes some pull-ups. Um, you know he's he's not not bashful about it, which you know I, I give him some credit for. He he lets it fly. Um, so yeah, I, I I'll, I'll be the optimist. Um, you know, considering I, I just said I, I have a weird belief that his threes are going to go in when he takes them. I'll 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 bet on him. Marginally improving up to that, you know, very still very middling, thirty-four and a half percent. If you if you put it up much higher, I probably, I probably wouldn't take it. So uh, I'm still basically saying he's he's not even a league average two point shooter. But um, I guess if we're going to keep the bar low, I'll I'll take the bait.
0: Yeah, it's actually not a big jump. Like I said, thirty-three point six percent. Uh, last season for Dante, and actually in the preseason, he shot really poorly. He was only at 23%, but he did get up 4.3 attempts in 21 minutes. So like you said, the one thing that you know for sure with Dante is that he's not going to be shy, which is probably why I'm leaning towards the under, because I think that he's going to let it fly, and, and he'll be a guy that will be streaky. One night, he will go four for five, and then he might have a couple of nights where he's one for five, one for six as well. So I'll probably take the under, but there's a lot of uh, room for improvement still in his game because again, like if you look at those numbers and compare it to some of the other guys that we don't talk as critically about their shooting and how erratic they are and the fact that we, you know, we're not sure where they're going to project to be a, a shooter. I think that's because they're veterans and we hope that the ceiling is is higher for Dante. But we'll see, we'll see. I'll ta- I'll be conservative. I'll take the under on thirty four point five percent there. Uh, why don't we go to Drew Holiday? Now, I actually had all-star appearances here, but I think I like yours better, all-defense uh, for Drew Holiday. So essentially we're asking, do you think he's going to be an all-defensive player? I think based on what we've seen the last two seasons, I think it would be a stretch to think that the Bucks would have three all-defensive players Again, all for a number of reasons, but I think there's going to be some uh, bucks fatigue, let's say that, with voting awards, particularly because of what we've seen in the postseason. But I do think that Drew Holiday is going to get the benefit of the doubt as a player coming to Milwaukee that everyone wants to, to heap praise on him because they feel like he's been underrated in the Western Conference and probably missed out on some personal accolades that he could have got because the Pelicans haven't been a great team. So not only do I think that he's a, a real chance to be an all-star I think that I can see him absolutely slotting into that Bledsoe's role in the all-defensive teams that we've seen the last two seasons
1: yeah I would also uh, say yes he'll make an all-defensive team and I think it's a fair point you make about you know how many guys can the Bucks get on the all-defensive teams I think as long as we're saying first or second team I'll, I'll say yes Drew will get it I think he's a guy that has a great reputation as a defender um and it's actually interesting to me that that he has only made two all defensive teams. He made first team in seventeen eighteen, second team in eighteen nineteen. I think the biggest reason is just because the Pelicans just didn't have good defenses in general. Um and and obviously, you know, I think as you saw with the Bucks, being the, you know, main defensive stopper in in the backcourt on a, a great defensive team is is obviously a pretty good way to to get one of those slots. And and again, the 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 guard spots are, you know, I don't want to say it's easier to necessarily easier to get them, but um, you know, I think those depend a lot more on reputation, right? Like people aren't looking at, you know, shop blocking or things like that the way they do with centers to sort of like shorthand for who should be all defensive or how you kind of figure that out. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say he'll, he'll make it. I think, as you kind of pointed out, there's a lot of goodwill for him. I think people want to put him on that all yeah. defensive team. Um, and I think he will be, I, I certainly hope that, you know, Knock on wood, he's healthy, plays a full season, and um, the Bucks are once again an elite defense. And I think, obviously, you would expect him to be a big part of that. And um, I think especially the narrative, you know, the fact that he's probably going to have to guard, you know, not like Bledsoe was really, you know, focused on mainly guarding point guards, obviously. He didn't shift up to guard bigger players much. I think with Drew, you know, he's probably going to have to do that a, a bit. Um, on this Bucks team, and and again, hopefully that hopefully it works. Uh, and secondly, if it you know, I think that also will, you know, get people's attention because he's clearly going to be you know the the guy who's going to be the designated stopper in a way that Bledsoe maybe wasn't just because he had some size limitations. Uh,
0: just got a couple more here. Bobby Portis. This is really interesting one. I had the points. Uh, his points per game line at eleven point five. Now he did average ten point seven points in the three preseason games and uh, the one thing that we probably all knew about Bobby Portis, but we've definitely learned from watching three games of him is that he's going to shoot and he's going to try and score. He actually averaged more shot attempts per game than drew holiday, Dante DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez uh, to name a few. Now, uh, obviously you know, someone like Brook, for instance, is a guy that probably could be more featured in the offense, but with the starting lineups, he kind of fades into the background a little bit. So I I I know for certain that when Bobby Portis is on the floor, he's going to try and score. Efficiency will be an interesting thing to note with him because even if you go back all everywhere he's been, he's been able to score. He's been a double-digit scorer for the last three or four seasons, but he's been erratic. He might he might have a couple of twenty-point games for the Bucs this season. Last year he had one 30 plus point game. Uh, with the Knicks, but then he'll go through games where he's one for seven and one for eight from the field. So he's going to be that type of guy. He's going to be a streaky scorer. We know uh, he's going to let it fly from the outside. He's certainly not afraid of shooting in the mid-range, which will be interesting to see if that's reined in a little bit on this Bucks team. But uh, I, I think that Bobby Portis is going to be a double-digit scorer. I, I might even take the over on this. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to put the ball in the bucket.
1: So I think the... I mean... This is purely a question about minutes, I think, is, is mm-hmm. what it really comes down to, right? Um, you know, Back you the guy that, Yeah, yeah he, he's been a guy who basically has been a- averaged, you know, basically a point every two minutes his, his entire career. He's literally right at that 18 points per 36 for his career. He was right around that the last two seasons. Um, so I think the question is, just, well, how, how many minutes is he going to play? Um, and if he's playing 24 minutes per game, he's probably going to be – just above that, that 11 and a half over under. So I think that's the question is, does he play 24 plus minutes per night? Um, and I think, again, you, you just look at the Bucks roster currently, you know, let's say Giannis plays 33 minutes a game, right? Let's think about the 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 kind of four or five rotation. So Giannis plays 33. What, what do you think Brooke plays? 26, 27, something like that. Um, that puts you at about 60 minutes. And that means you've got about 36 minutes um, between the two front court spots that are unaccounted for, um, you know, is our DJ Wilson and, and Bobby Porter is going to split those? No, nah, I think Porter's is going to get more of those minutes. So not, not inconceivable that he can get to 24 minutes per game um, that way. And then you factor in the fact that, you know, guys get hurt, guys miss games here and there. And, and so they're, they're per minute or you know, minutes per game averages tend to get inflated a little bit just because of you, know, you don't have a full roster every night. So I think that's a very good over-under. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think, you know, never, never bet on Bobby Portis to be efficient, but also never bet <laughs> on Bobby Portis not to believe in Bobby Portis and believe in trying to put up shots. So I guess I'll take the over. I don't think it's necessarily uh, – I don't know. If that's a ringing endorsement of Bobby Portis. Um, so much of a ringing endorsement of Bobby Portis's own ringing endorsement of Bobby Portis. Of Bobby
0: Portis. <laughs> well, uh, I I was almost going to tweet this out, but I didn't just because I think it's a it's a well known story by now. But there was a question for Bobby Portis the other day, and he said. <laughs> He said, you know, Bobby Portis just wants to do whatever the coach wants him to do. So whatever the coach tells Bobby Portis to do, he's going to do. And uh, it's obviously a well-known thing that uh, he likes to uh, talk about himself in the third person. But uh, I'm with you there. I have taken the over. Uh, the last one that I had, and if you had any other random ones, you can throw it in, but I know we've been going for a little while here, was the two rookies, because there is a lot of interest in Sam Merrill. And Jordan Warren now uh, you mentioned this one and I don't even have a number and I don't even know what to look at or what to think about this one but combined minute total uh, for the two rookies over the course of the season clearly uh, this could swing either way uh, based on availability and whatever happens through the season but do you have any type of number in your head for this because I I don't think you know just looking at what we've seen in the preseason I don't get the sense that uh, they're going to play right off the bat unless, unless DJ Augustine misses a little bit of time here with the calf. Maybe Sam Merrill could squeeze in for some early minutes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to look at DJ Wilson um, as, as maybe a benchmark. Cause it's kind of hard with, with players who are not going to just be in the every night rotation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to look at it from like a minutes per game thing, because you know, there are a lot of nights where they don't play and that doesn't change their minutes per game. Um, you know Wilson's interesting to look at because he hasn't really had big injuries but he's obviously played very sporadic minutes his rookie year he played 71 minutes in 22 <laughs> games i mean literally could not get on the court his second year 882 minutes in 48 games three starts last year just 363 minutes in 37 games right so i mean technically he averaged 10 minutes per game but you know he obviously didn't you know played in in basically half half the games overall so I think that's, it just sort of shows kind of like how it can kind of bounce around a little bit. Um, I, I think, you know, you could say this for either of these guys. I think, I think probably the optimistic view would be um, something like last season for, for that we saw with DJ where again, he plays in pretty much every other game, but then average 10 minutes per game when he did. Right. And, and that's the thing, right. Like usually when guys play, it's either garbage time um, or, you know, you don't, if you're not if you're part of the rotation, you're not playing five minutes a game, right? You're gonna probably play 10, 15 minutes just because you know, the way the ways coaches sub games. So I think that's but that would probably be my question is can one or both of those guys get to the point where it's not gonna be every night necessarily, but are there going to be enough injuries and you know enough competition that that they're gonna get that bone thrown to them to to go out and, and play. Um I would be shocked if both guys, you know, were, cause, cause they're, I mean, again, even though they're not, you know, like for like per se, right. Like Merrill's obviously much more of a kind of combo guard. He's at six, four Nora is obviously a, a bigger guy. Um, you know, probably you know, more of a, a pure wing um, shooter. And so I, again, is either guy going to going a crack 363 minutes? Um, I would say, I would say it's possible. One of them does. Um, I'd be curious. I I haven't really given it much thought, which one is more likely to play. Um, Do you, would you have a guess on that? Uh, You know, you kind of alluded to the Bucks' point guard depth as a reason that, you know, would, would play in Merrill's favor. Um, It's not like they have great depth, (laughs) you know, at the kind of forward spots either. Um, So that obviously could, could work in Nora's favor. I mean, you know, I think Marcus Johnson pointed out the other day on Twitter. I mean, you know, Nora's dad is, is the coach of the Nigerian national team. You know, he's obviously a guy, I mean, Merrill's 24, so obviously he's been around. You know, th- these are obviously not, you know, r- super raw types of players. They're, they're a bit more polished, but they're still rookies. Um, l- so let me ask you this. Which guy do you think is more likely to, to, to see minutes this year? And then we can kind of maybe debate a little bit there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I've actually, in the small flashes we've seen, I've been kind of impressed with both guys in the little aspects of their game. I probably, and I mean, again, you spoke about the availability, so this is really where it's going to come down to. You're almost trying to take a gamble on on what, what position is going okay, to have, have yeah. guys miss games. But the, the one thing that I will say in terms of actually breaking into the rotation, so I, I don't see War really playing ahead of Bobby Portis would it absolutely shock me if he somehow found his way getting minutes ahead of DJ Wilson? Not based on what we've seen the last three or four years. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Bryn Forbes and Sam Merrill. Now, I don't want to be quickly jumping off Bryn Forbes and saying, well, he, he, he's going to lose his spot in the rotation behind pick 60 in the draft. I'm not suggesting that. But as you pointed to, both guys aren't your traditional rookies. They've both been around for a while. They are mature. And the thing about Sam Merrill that seemingly from what we've heard from from everyone that's spoken about him is that... Uh, he is kind of ready made and he's a better defender than I think they thought, which was exactly what Sam Vecini pointed out when I spoke to him about Sam as well. And he's got decent size at 6'4 playing the guard position. So if I had to guess, I, I just think that Sam Merrill is the type of player that maybe Bud might like to play, you know, spot minutes, maybe not as much as Kyle Corver last year, but in that role where let's, let's give him five to 10 minutes, let's get him, let him get up three or four three point shots and see if he can knock them down. Um, and so maybe I would go with Merrill, but I don't say that with any certainty.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at the preseason minutes, Merrill played 8.8 minutes per game, Nora 8.2. So not exactly much yeah. to, to kind of split the difference in, in the preseason. I, my assumption was Nora, you mean you compared him to sort of the, a couple of the guys that would vie for, for minutes at the four. Um, I mean, he's six, seven He's obviously not a, not a small guy. I kind of guess maybe he would be more likely to see minutes at the three, but obviously, you know, there's more more dudes that (laughs) that that would be competing for for minutes there. Um, So I think it's an interesting question about like, you know, how much would he see kind of at at those at those positions? Um, But but yeah, I mean, again, I think you you talk about the point guard position. Um, You've only got really two true point guards on the roster. And then you've got you know Dante has I mean Dante has nominally started as a point guard last year when Bledsoe was out so Bud has been willing to do that but um, I think you know Merrill does does potentially have have some advantage there so um, yeah I, I don't know uh, I guess maybe Merrill <laughs> um, it's kind of funny some someone tweeted at me about asking you know do you just give kind of Merrill like duncan robinson video to just watch and figure out if he can kind of develop you know his shooting to to be kind of one of super dangerous sort of off ball guy i actually think nora is 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 more of a duncan robinson type just because they're more similarly sized um and you know I, I think nora is more of a pure you know kind of sh- just shooter type type player versus merrill is is much more used to being on the ball and obviously duncan robinson isn't you know he's not a combo guard or anything like that so um so i i it'll be interesting i mean again like the odds of any of these guys coming in, even if they are great college shooters and becoming, you know, elite NBA shooters who actually are able to get up high volumes of threes and make them at a super high percentage, like Duncan Robinson, you know, you're, you're talking about super high bar. Um, so you, you can't, <laughs> you know, I would say don't, don't expect something like that from from either of you know these these second round picks. Um, but I, I, again, I mean, when we talk about their skill sets, obviously they have real pedigree as shooters. Um, and, uh, it's a challenge in the NBA. I mean, guys for guys to, to be able to shoot at a high level in the NBA, um, playing reduced minutes. I mean, that's one of the hardest things I think for these guys, cause they're all used to playing tons of minutes, having the ball in their hand, being a focal point of offenses. And, um, that's an obviously an adjustment. I mean, maybe, maybe that's why partly why Duncan Robinson has succeeded, um, because he was. A role player, even in college. I mean, he didn't—he didn't even average ten points a game his last year at Michigan. Um, you know, he was scoreless in that Dante Divincenzo, uh, you know, ch- national championship game where, where Divincenzo went off. Doug Robinson didn't even score in that game, I think. Um, so he, he's kind of used to being a role player, and, and obviously that's an adjustment that you know guys like Marilyn Moore is going to have to make. Is that they're not playing every night, and they have to figure out how do you come in and if you get you know three shots, how do you make two of them rather than one, or you know if you get Two shots. How do you make one rather than zero? Um, I think that's something that that is a difficult adjustment to make. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll say Merrill just just for posterity. Uh, I think i feel like I'm going with Bucks Twitter's obsession with Sam Merrill right now, which I, I don't know that I fully agree with. But um, yeah, I I don't know that we have an over under per se, but um, I, I would expect one of those guys will probably play a, a little bit this year. Um, but I think as we we're alluding to, it'll probably just be out of necessity, not because they go out and, you know, really seize, seize the minute minutes and demand it.
0: So it's funny, you mentioned the Bucks' Twitter obsession. And just quickly, as we, we look to wrap this up, it's funny, because I, I also sometimes see the tweets. And if I tweet about Sam Barrow, people have just pumped, pumped about this guy pick 60 in the draft. And part of me wants to say, all right, everyone, just relax a little bit here. He you know, I mean, he, he's not going to come in when you're a championship contender, you shouldn't really be this excited about pick 60 in the draft. But I will say that the Bucs have had, uh, they haven't had a lot of young talents or they haven't had a lot of rookies to really get behind and get excited about, which is why I think there is uh, such high expectations or um, excitement around DiVincenzo because there just hasn't been a lot of players like that. We know the Bucs have struggled in the draft over the last sort of five, six years. And also the other point, which I think I messaged in our in our DM group, that it's also just fun to see a guy who can flat out shoot because the Bucs just haven't mm-hmm. had a lot of those guys on the roster, which is why at the, in, even in preseason and early season last year, Kyle Corver was so fun to watch because it was like, wow, this guy can seriously get hot. And we've seen them try to get guys like this, you know, a Mirotic, not quite the same level of shooter, but a guy that can really knock them down. And the other one I think of is Mirza Teletovic. There was a couple of games there where he really, really got hot back in the day. And it was so fun. The Bucs just haven't had those types of guys. So I certainly understand why there's excitement when you see uh, Merrill knock down some of the shots he has. And as you pointed, same with Jordan as well through the first couple of games.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say too, I mean, uh, you know, heck if if Sam Merrill can just be like a Matt Thomas type guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, yeah, Bucks yeah. fans, you know, Matt Thomas uh, from Onalaska high school in Wisconsin, <laughs> uh, he's six four one ninety. I don't think he can handle a ball like, like Merrill can. Um, but you know, he, he's a guy that, again, didn't play big minutes last year, but we, I mean, we saw him do do this against the Bucs. Yep. He came in and, and I mean, he shot forty-seven and a half percent from three last year. <laughs> like, again, small volume. Um, but when the guy came in, he just made shots. And uh, if, if you could get anything like that, I mean, if Sam Merrill can come in or Nora can come in um, and, you know, just on small volumes, like kind of, Give you that kind of you know again i, I, I as you're saying too you don't want to compare these guys to freaking Kyle Korver you know cuz that, that that's one of the greatest shooters of all time <laughs> um but you know teams wrong, aren't going to the guard wrong. them teams aren't going to guard them like Kyle Korver either mm-hmm. right like if they're running around screens like Kyle Korver let's just say their defenders are not going to be going quite as hard probably mm-hmm. as they would for Kyle Korver so they're going to get some looks that, that Kyle doesn't Um, but, but yeah, I mean, again, just having somebody that can come in and and just knock down some shots and obviously the same thing's going to apply to Brent Forbes. I think it's interesting to call out Forbes because, you know, Forbes has clear limitations as, um, a defender, as a playmaker. Um, you know, he's the guy that I think if you're Sam Merrill, you put your targets, uh, you put your target site on and say, uh, Hey, that guy can shoot 40% from three, but you know, does he do anything else? Well, not really, <laughs> you know. Like, so how do I come in and and you know shoot for that guy's role? And and again, I think it's you can get to that high thirties, low forties, you know, percentage from three, um, and uh, handle the ball and actually you know do a little bit of stuff. Other than that, hold your own defensively at least. Um, you know, he's bigger than Forbes. Uh, then then I think you know. And again, it's not like you're giving yourself a, a shot at a huge role, but I think you at least put yourself on pace to you know, have a shot, especially if you get some injuries that, you know, hopefully you get that chance and you step up and, um, and you fill in. So uh, again, I, you know, it, the Bucks at some point, you know, you look at, I mentioned Matt Thomas, you know, the Raptors, how many random dudes have they gotten, um, gotten uh, off the street, right? Whether it's Chris Boucher, um, Terrence Davis, all these guys, you, you know, just random guys who just turn into, you know, or, or even second round picks like Norm Powell. Former Bucks, you know, second round pick, guys that have just become like, you know, workable rotation players, or even more in the case of Powell. At some point, you know, as an organization, if you're scouting and you're, you know, your your personnel department is is obviously doing a job, at some point, you're going to stumble into these types of guys. And the Bucks, unfortunately, just have not been able to do that. They have not been able to identify those types of guys. And so, you know, we're so used to it that I think it's we're it's justified to sort of write off the Noras and and Sam Merrill's. Um, but you know, again, knock on wood, one of these guys is going to stick and, and hopefully be a guy that can give you real minutes. You know, and again, maybe not a real big impact as a rookie, obviously, but um, but hopefully a guy that can develop in, into something. So hope springs eternal, I guess, especially especially now that the Bucks are out of another future second round pick. Um, you know, more reason to to cross your fingers that hopefully one of these guys from this year can actually amount to something.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great pull. The Matt Thomas one was interesting. I was watching uh, some Raptors stuff the other day and uh, was reminded that Matt Thomas is uh, another one of those random guys that would come off the bench and play well. But uh, I'm glad we were able to knock this out before the start of the season. Like I said, by the time people are listening to this, the Bucs will be playing tomorrow in Boston to start the season. And uh, of course... It's going to be fun to watch them basketball tomorrow. And I'm glad, I'm kind of glad in a way that the Bucs aren't playing on opening night. You can just kick back, relax, overreact to some of the stuff you're seen. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we will have a podcast out tomorrow. We'll talk about Bucks Celtics a little bit. We'll have a chance to speak to, actually John Horst in the morning. He's going to speak with the media. So we'll get a chance to speak to him and then a couple of players after as well in the build-up to Bucks Celtics, which uh, I think is going to be a fun one. Both teams potentially, missing some uh, rotation guys. We'll wait and see what happens with Augustine. But obviously, uh, Kemba Walker won't be playing for the Celtics. But Frank, you'll be on the road. Uh, hopefully, my fingers are crossed, that you get uh, back to Wisconsin in time to watch this game on Thursday night.
1: As do I. I've had some poor timing as far as uh, uh, travel during, uh, during box games. But so far, it actually worked out okay. Last year, I was driving uh, to. Uh, I actually ended up in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, the night of the Bucks Lakers game that the Bucks, of course, won uh, in December of that year. Uh, so I, I ended up watching it on my phone. I listened to it on Sirius XM, got my Ted Davis fill, which was great, and then uh, watched it uh, on my phone before I, <laughs> before I, you know, basically put the lights out because my daughter was was asleep. I'm sitting there watching the game on my phone, and then uh, the year before that. I was driving during the the great DJ Wilson slash Sterling Brown. Also had kind of a breakout game against the Pistons, a game where they won just barely on Blake with when Blake Griffin missed um, a late three point shot that, that could have, I think tied it, or maybe could have won it. Um, but that was sort of the DJ Wilson game where he defended Blake Griffin and, you know, Johnny looked really good and energetic. Um, so hopefully if I'm, I'm supposed to be getting into Wisconsin that night. So hopefully I get home in time to, to watch that game. I'll, ask my parents to put on DVR. But um, if I don't, uh, then I'll just cross my fingers that, that the Bucs can win a, a third straight year with me uh, driving uh, driving during uh, during an early season Bucs game.
0: Well, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's 11.30 a.m. tip over here on Christmas Eve, which is, uh, which is just fantastic, perfect time for a Bucs game of basketball. It suits me down to the ground. But uh, you make sure you drive safely to Wisconsin in one piece because uh, even if you don't get there for that game, a uh, pretty entertaining Christmas day game you'll at least be able to watch with the family
1: yeah, and I got to get in for Christmas because I mean I, I have to check if rocky Rococo's, I assume they're open on Christmas Eve um, so I can get in there and, and you know get get my fill of slices i got I got some some free slice coupons that that they shipped me that are kind of burning a hole in my pocket so um I, uh, I gotta, I gotta get my Rockies fill. I gotta, you know, at least watch some Bucks games on TV. Unfortunately, not obviously going to be able to go to any in person, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to actual NBA basketball, even if my trip home is, uh, is not going to be the normal, uh, normal, <laughs> normal type of trip home to Wisconsin, including Bucks games, but hashtag 2020, right. Uh, we'll, we'll take what we can get. And obviously cross your fingers for uh, a healthy and and hopefully productive start of the season for the Bucks. And, um, yeah. Win the first two games of the season. Just, just throw us a bone here. It's been a, it's been a tough few months um, other than the Giannis extension. <laughs> so uh, fingers crossed here that um, hopefully, hopefully we'll talk in a couple nights and we can talk about uh, if not the Celtics game, certainly the Christmas day game. Um, and, and hopefully we get, hopefully we get a better result than last year came that that was watching the, the, the Christmas champion Sixers last year was, was no fun, but um, obviously, we also saw how much how much that didn't matter in the, in, the, in the ultimate sort of standings for the year.
0: It'll matter on the day, though. We need a reversal of it last will.
1: year's because it was just
0: <laughs> a sad, sad podcast, that one on Christmas Day. But all right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Frank, he's, he's got to get some sleep and he's got to hit the road. Uh, I don't know what I've got to do. Pack.
1: Yeah, use- i got to pack. It's almost midnight. I've got to do some packing,
0: yeah. Yeah, go pack. I'll speak to you in a couple of days. We'll leave it there for Frank. Uh, and myself, Kane Pippen. We will speak to you guys tomorrow in the lead up to Buck Celtics.